Blog Talk Radio. Live from San Diego, California on Wednesday, November the 30th, welcome to ACO Watch Midweek Review. I'm your host, Greg Masters. Today, we have a distinct treat in store for you. Now, on the heels of the release of a timely and informative report by Levitt Partners, the firm founded by former HHS and EPA's um, secretary and administrator, respectively, during the Bush administration, Michael O. Levitt, and coincident to the expected but disconcerting news of Dr. Don Berwick's early retirement from a short life stint at CMS, we're presented with the first set of empirical data on the incidence and prevalence, to coin an epidemiology phrase, of ACOs or their proxies. As uh, has worked its way into the national conversation, some have jokingly parroted that ACOs are like unicorns. Everyone's heard of them, but no one's actually seen one. So today, we'll get some book and needed context on that claim. Joining me today from Levitt Partners are two of the principal co-authors of the report titled Growth and Dispersion of Accountable Care Organizations, Andrew Croshaw and Thomas Merrill. Andrew Croshaw is Managing Director of the Healthcare Practice at Levitt Partners, founded by former U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary and EPA Administrator Michael Levitt. The partnership advises clients in the healthcare and food safety sector, sectors. As managing director of the healthcare practice, Croshaw helps clients enter new markets, enhance the value of their products, navigate dynamic regulatory and reimbursement systems, and improve health conditions around the world. Croshaw served jointly as senior executive advisor to Secretary Levitt at the Department of HHS, and as project leader for the value-driven value healthcare initiative. In these roles, Andrew managed the overall implementation of the initiative, which aimed to improve the connectivity of America's health information systems, encourage the measurement and availability of quality and price information, and enhance incentives for all healthcare stakeholders to seek high-quality, competitively-priced healthcare. Thomas Merrill is a strategic analyst at Levitt. As a member of the knowledge development team, Merrill collaborates with others to analyze and research issues associated with health reform and, more specifically, emerging care models and the various factors that influence the modern health care landscape. So with that as an introduction, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. First up, thank you for this report. Uh, it adds considerably to an at times emotionally charged yet often light on the facts conversation on health reform or system redesign. So let me ask you, are ACOs really like unicorns? It appears you've seen a few. Well, perhaps, perhaps uh, we are at least evolving away from something that is completely mythical to something where there appear to be some early entrants that are making the types of investments 
and organizing in a way to legitimately pursue the objective of integrating care and lowering costs. So there's, there's clear evidence that the movement is underfoot. We will, however, acknowledge that um, at this point, there is, uh, we are still in the very early stages, and many organizations that were included in our survey uh, have not yet crossed the threshold of no return, so to speak, and they are still contemplating um, you know, the, the level of investment and confidence that they have in, in um, moving forward as an ACO. So give us some context on um, why you decided to uh, conduct this survey. Um, can you introduce us to why you got going and how you approached it? Absolutely. Well, we began, you know, this in the early phases of this movement, there is uh, not a lot of empirical evidence to go by. So we began by looking at organizations that were self-identifying as ACOs, that through, uh, through press release, through um, other public um, uh, you know, documents were suggesting that they intended to uh, organize themselves to participate in the market. We also um, included organizations that functionally are acting as ACOs, uh, whether by um, entering into contracts uh, with payers on partial or full capitation basis to organize care, or who are already organized and integrated uh, to provide that care. Uh, nearly all of the 146 entities that are included in this report qualify under the former definition, which is that they have self-identified as organizations that intend to participate as an ACO going forward. So uh, there's a slight leap of faith that one might take to then record an actual ACO based on self-identification, but what, what criteria are you using as perhaps indicia of, of what an ACO looks like? Well, it's, um, you know, we are in the, as, I, as we all know, in the early phases of a movement, and, um, you know, we, we are using Mark McClellan's definition as, a, as we think a fitting one for the early stages, which is any organization that seeks per capita improvements in quality of cost and does that through some degree of accountability. Uh, we acknowledge, uh, you know, in the report that the methods we use are the best available today. But over time, this will begin to filter out, and we'll have uh, much better quantitative methods of assessing who fits the definition of an ACO and can continue to track their progress from a geographic perspective, from a competitive perspective, and from a functional organizational perspective. Okay, with that as a lens, tell us uh, some of your broad findings. Well, there are a few key conclusions that uh, were important um, to share with those who are watching this industry grow. And perhaps uh, a, a, an interesting place to start is to understand that the response of healthcare providers to this movement seems to be competitive and reactionary. That is to suggest that there's a great uh, a great possibility of being commoditized and marginalized as a player in a healthcare market. So when one organization begins to pick partners and organize itself to deliver care in an integrated way and, um, and to go at risk for that, the natural reaction of competitors is to follow suit. 
And that bears out in the, in the data. We looked at ACO prevalence both by state and also by hospital referral region. And when we did that, we found that there were, there were ACOs in less than half of the hosp 366 hospital regions throughout the country. But where ACOs were prevalent, it was often the case that multiple ACOs were prevalent. Another uh, key that, finding, go ahead. I, I, no, please go ahead. I, I don't want to interrupt you. Well, I, I was going to just pivot to a second key finding, and this is perhaps not surprising, uh, that the majority of the entities that are, that are sponsoring, if you will, or taking the quarterback role on organizing an ACO are hospitals. Uh, our, our numbers were that 99 or you know, close to 60% of the or organizations that we found were hospitals or hospital systems with the remaining portion being divided up between health plans and physician groups. We aren't surprised by this finding, but we, we're not sure that it, is, uh, that, it will be, that, that it will remain constant over time, and here's why. We see several key variables that are important or, or integral in order to form an ACO. An organization needs to have capital, first and foremost, to build the, the IT infrastructure, to um, you know, organize and, and satisfy the legalities, um, to, to essentially create the infrastructure components. Uh, brand is an important uh, piece of this. Um, and those are two things that hospitals have. Hospitals also um, have a, a benefit of organizing early by, by buying or otherwise partnering with physician groups as a defensive posture if this movement never even unfolds. Uh, what I mean by that is that hospitals will strengthen their negotiating leverage with other players in the healthcare sector the more they expand their footprint into uh, primary and secondary care in addition to the hospital care that they might already provide. So it's not surprising to see hospitals as early entrants. However, there are other components that are necessary to be an effective ACO over time, and hospitals don't possess all of those inherently. They are the ability to aggregate lives, something that health plans are quite good at, uh, the ability to control or influence patients, something that physician groups are quite good at, and the ability to manage risk, which is not a historical hospital competency, but one that health plans possess and in some cases organized physician groups possess. So there's a quiet scramble underway for these three entrants to begin to organize themselves to compete in an integrated way at risk. Hospitals uh, have a natural advantage to come out of the gate early, but we're not sure if we'll see that advantage persist over time. So minimally, uh, one could see a value proposition in, in a food chain here where all three parties potentially bring forward assets that could commingle and work to the betterment of the overall enterprise. Is that a fair characterization? Very fair. Um, in, in our report, we're careful to not jump to any early conclusions about which model will be most effective. All three of these 
competitors or entrants, if you will, bring unique competencies, but none of them possess all the required competencies. So that will be an interesting uh, aspect of tracking over time is to see which of these begin to be most effective at, at entering into agreements um, as, as ACOs. One important thing to note is that not all three of these entrants are equally tethered to the current fee-for-service system. It's much easier for a health plan to pivot to, to a new business model than it is for a hospital to do that because of the organization and orientation that they have built around a fee-for-service structure. So um, these, three, these three entities may have sort of varying abilities to adapt uh, as the market evolves. So that's an interesting question, particularly with the fact that your, your, your characterization up front is there are competitive responses and reactionary, perhaps more of the defensive variety. And that whole uh, uh, common denominator, if you will, may play out uh, more favorably based on the maturity of the market from perhaps a managed care penetration standpoint, for instance, uh, integrated delivery systems who have some familiarity with risk management are by definition somewhat advantaged in, in trying to organize and uh, fulfill some of the requirements of an ACO? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a nimbleness that a physician, an organized physician group has and that a health plan has that a hospital system may not have. Now, at the end of the day, most people believe that many of the of the hoped-for savings of ACOs will come from reduced hospitalization, from better better identifying and managing chronic disease uh, by, by helping to keep people well rather than treating them when they're sick. And so our hospital systems um, may not have the nimbleness um, when, when, when looked at in an isolated way, and therefore they are there's much evidence out in the market that would suggest that these systems are looking to diversify and change um, their footprint to, to be able to possess some of that nimbleness. So the law was originally written to stimulate physicians taking leadership here, uh, and based on your uh, first pass of uh, who's in the, who's on the field, it looks like uh, 99 out of 164 being hospital players. Where where are the docs? Did you get any feel for that? Well, we think we think this is this may be a function of an early scan of the environment, and that over time we may see the the the, the, the size of the pie shift in favor of more physician groups and more health plan participation. Um, that said, um, we've also spoken to people at CMS who are, have been involved in creating the regulations for the shared savings program, and this has been a concern of theirs. They want to see a competitive environment where multiple ACOs are, are in a market and are are um, you know, innovating around models that have a chance uh, uh, for success. They don't want to see consolidation of hospitals that um, may have the opposite effect of, uh, of reducing costs in a market. 
So I had reported to me uh, just this week uh, from a, a practicing physician here in the San Diego area that uh, he and his group are being approached by multiple entities, and uh, they're uh, a tad confused, <laughs> to say the least, about uh, where they would, would most properly align or whether they should, uh, of their own horsepower, try and organize their own version of an ACO. Do you have any thoughts there? Uh, the question being around what, what, what does a physician group do? Do they organize their own or do they, uh, do they join a team? Is that uh, the question? Correct. Now, this is, this is uh, it's a big decision for physician groups, and, uh, you know, it comes at a time where there's great uncertainty about the future. Um, you know, and I suspect the answer will be different, um, you know, for different physician groups based on the, the ownership structure there and, and um, what their long-term goals are. But I will say that physician groups have a, a, a unique ability to control uh, patients or, or to influence patient outcomes. They are, they are where, uh, you know, many of the savings can be found through coordinated efforts that these physicians uh, oversee. And so that's a, that's a strong advantage that they bring either as an organizer or as a, uh, a, a part of a larger team. Um, you know, health plans, um, you know, to make a mention of health plans, as we know, they are specifically precluded from being the, the dominant organizer of a participant of the shared savings program according to the regulations issued by CMS. Their ownership is limited to 25%. And so that puts health plans in an interesting position. In the commercial market, there is no such limitation, but it appears that in the early going of serving federal markets, serving Medicare beneficiaries through the ACO model, their role will be um, largely in the Medicare Advantage space. And we may see over time Medicare Advantage plans beginning to look like ACOs and a type of competition between those two models as they coexist in the market. Interesting. Was there, was there any, uh, that, that makes perfect sense, uh, logical evolution, yeah, but might there also be some type of generic utility company play that uh, health plans, given their skill sets in uh, population management and so forth, lives uh, being uh, vending out some of those services to uh, contracting ACOs? Seems very Medical logical. groups, as an example. Do you see we, any of them positioning of themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Excuse me for interrupting. Absolutely, we, we see a lot of examples of that of those types of conversations happening, and uh, you know it's yet to be borne out what what utility vendors step forward to begin to be the intel inside of some of these ACOs. We also, however, see uh, health plans making a lot of acquisitions to position themselves to be part of the information chain that's necessary to manage care and part of the delivery chain. Uh, we saw news yesterday, uh, I believe it was, of, of uh, Humana buying a, a company called Senior Bridge that will give them an, an opportunity at the care level to influence uh, the care that seniors uh, provide. Um, you know, United Health Group through their uh, Optum Health 
um, arm has been making um, acquisitions of providers and other um, other players who could help in the care continuum. So uh, health plans are, are being are very aggressive in in diversifying what it means to be a traditional health plan and and getting more into a position where they can actually be part of this equation, either as a utility or perhaps as a as a participant. So historically, uh, if you look at hospital medical staff relationships and then you throw in the mix a health plan, there isn't a whole lot of three-way trust often at the, at that table. Do you think that's an issue? I think it's a big issue. And one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of the call were these these elements that are critical to be a successful ACO, and one of them is brand. Well, health plans definitely have a brand, but it isn't always positive, certainly not relative to the kind of brand that a hospital system would have. And we, we see, uh, you know, we definitely see a market evolving where patients have the opportunity to choose an ACO, and brand matters um, in, that, in that instance. And uh, so, so health plans will need to confront that as they seek to be a, a place where people you know, to be seen not as a gatekeeper, but as a facilitator of health and wellness. Um, and so a, a follow-up point is rather than some who were writing the obituary of uh, Medicare um, contractors or Advantage plans, in truth they probably have not only a competitive advantage at this point, but certainly a market upside if we go in the direction that you've been suggesting. I think potentially yes, I, and, and you, you're, I think you're pointing out a, a change in the perception of the future of health plans. You know, shortly after the uh, uh, PPACA was passed, the Affordable Care Act was passed, um, it looked as though reimbursements for Medicare Advantage plans were, were going were set to drop. It looked like the, the oversight and uh, you know, taxation and regulation of health plans was increasing so much, it, it did not appear that the future was very bright. But over the you know over the the, the year and a half since that happened, we are seeing a uh, an evolution take place, where health plans appear to be finding their footing and evolving themselves to be a critical piece of the future going forward. Now, traditional health insurance will probably continue to be regulated, at least as long as the uh, the bill remains in effect. But the companies themselves are adapting to be part of the future. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, um, we're hearing a lot of uh, patient-centeredness, uh, patient engagement conversation. It's even written in the law of what, the, what that looks like for an ACO. Do you see uh, the uh, idea of patients first and, and patients involved in governance uh, or the organization of an operation of an ACO? Is that a positive? Is that a net positive for the patient empowerment movement? You know, it's... Um it depends on where this movement goes. There aren't very many people who would who would disagree with the idea that patients are a part are a piece of the puzzle, and patient involvement and consumerism in healthcare. I mean, we've long known that people don't know enough about the quality of the care that they receive. They don't understand the cost, and frankly, are shielded from the direct costs 
of health care because it's bundled into premiums and other ways that they end up paying for it, that, that they've been unable to bring the discipline that affects consumer industries to health care. So everybody, everybody knows that that's got to be part of the equation. It's probably too early to, to, to say how consumerism is going to play out in, in uh, the ACO movement. The, 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 you know, the, the initial uh, draft regs that came out from CMS suggested that patients shouldn't really even know if they're in an ACO. And that was a point of significant feedback by the industry that it's very difficult to help manage towards health when, when patients are oblivious to what's happening and, uh, and have very little stake in the game. So, um, you know, early versions of the ACOs may be a light, light on the consumerism, at least those sponsored by the federal government. And this may be an area where the private sector will lead out in, in discovering and building models with heavy consumer involvement, where patients have an opportunity to participate in and are, are rewarded for uh, the kinds of health outcomes that save money, and that perhaps those models, you know, could ultimately be adopted uh, by the larger, uh, less innovative payers, especially Medicare. So the jury's out, but in all likelihood, Berwick's notion of being a guest in the lives of patients is, is perhaps part of what this whole ACO conversation, or at least the fulfillment side, is, is aiming for, I would imagine. Yes, can you say more about his comment about being a guest in the lives of the patients? Well, it's it's simply recognizing. I mean, he used that, that expression that uh, you know we we have to invert the pyramid. We've been a hierarchical, over overly sort of uh, uh, paternalistic system that often doesn't take the patient in mind. We need to flip that to the point he's taking it to the level of providers become guests in the lives of patients, that patients are at the center and the delivery system and all the other mechanics basically evolve around the patient at the center. But uh, let me ask you this because we're we're coming uh, towards the end. I'm looking at page 7 on your map, ACOs by state, and what strikes me is uh, if we went back 20 years, we'd be looking maybe 20-plus we'd be looking at a sort of a similar picture if you're looking at the dispersion of HMOs. Basically, you have California, Texas, Florida, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, New York, and New Jersey, and I believe Massachusetts <laughs> as early adopters, if you will. Is there some significance there, or is this just um, am, I, am, I, am I incorrectly connecting dots? Oh, I, I think it's uh, it's a very legitimate observation that in some ways this feels like uh, another run at managed care. But, um, you know, the, the, there are a few things that are different this time. Uh, for one, uh, we are facing um, an, an economic imperative to reduce the spending on our health entitlements that is unprecedented. And when we look around the world at the debt crises that are facing nations who have been unable to control their spending, we are looking at the future if the U.S. doesn't find a way. And we have consistently seen the political establishment in Washington, D.C. be unable to put on the, on the altar these health entitlements. And, until, and so there's only so long that that can happen. 
Medicaid may be one of the early places where we begin to see that change because of the mandate that states have to to keep a balanced budget. We are we are and and that's probably a direct reason why we see as much innovation and as much conversation happening in Medicaid programs about about how to to move towards integrated care. But we also see a focus on measuring quality and a focus on sharing and, and, dis, and you know, distributing risk between providers and payers that we did not previously see in earlier iterations of, of the managed care movement. So times have indeed changed, and I don't hear anyone arguing for business as usual per se. In fact, it's rarely even an option on a presentation, on a presentation but what are the optimized next steps for someone who wants to get going uh, as opposed to sitting on the sidelines? What, what, what might that look like? Well, there's, there's a series of logistical, you know, steps that are, that are part of, of building an organization. Uh, there are a series of sociological steps that have to happen, and what I mean by that is learning to work with organizations that were previously your competitor or with whom you did not need to coordinate. And learning the sociology of that is, is probably as difficult as putting the technology together. Um, and, and so those are some important next steps. Probably another major challenge that will need to be overcome is how can healthcare organizations live with a foot in both worlds, a foot in the fee-for-service world, and at the same time be rewarded for doing the opposite as they're rewarded today, be, be rewarded for value at the same time you're being rewarded for volume. And, Navigating that transition it may be um, one of the critical challenges facing us in the next you know, three to five years. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for the time. We're coming up on ending our live portion of this segment. We will spend a few minutes in after hours for those of you listening to us downstream. I want to thank, thank Andrew Kroshoff for his time from Levitt Partners today. We do this weekly. Please join us next week for another episode of ACO Watch, a midweek review. So for those of you staying with us in the after hours or extension segment on the um, <clears throat> ACO Watch and Midweek Review, we're still talking to Andrew Croshaw of Levitt Partners. Andrew, you still with us? Still here. Okay, great. So sorry for that abrupt termination. It's always a challenge trying to, trying to manage the wind down. But um, uh, I, I guess if we could, if you have just a few more minutes, uh, the, the, the intention of the question which you, you were, were getting to is how to – and it goes back to the question that was posed to me by this physician who's literally – he and his partners just, you know, they're just uh, scratching their heads – trying to make strategic decisions. They're in the midst of a potential merger with a larger group, and uh, and they're getting approached by hospital systems to be part of their ACO. And they're quite, uh, frankly, uh, you know, rather confused about, uh, about choices. So how does one make purposeful next steps in terms of if they're a physician group? Um, where would you recommend they start? Well, it's... Uh there may be a um, an internal discussion about you know um, what level of aggressiveness they'd like to to
to take approaching the ACL movement. Uh, physician groups, if they're large enough, um, are are in a position to really drive and be uh, an ACO. Um, that, though, requires um, much more organizing. It probably requires them to take more risk. Um, and so they have to decide what, you know, what their appetite is for uh, that endeavor. It also depends on what the competitive landscape looks like, the market share, if you will, for primary care in their area. How, how easy is it for hospital systems to go find other sources of referrals um, you know, that, that, that could marginalize or isolate um, a particular physician group? To the extent that they hold market power, um, they're in a position to uh, have more of a shared governance structure instead of how physicians have you know, traditionally looked at hospitals, where the hospital was the organizing force in the community and really um, you know, certainly had a relationship with physician groups, but, but really um, held the upper hand in those uh, relations. Do, do you see the potential reemergence of uh, IPAs or, or alliances that stop just shy of full integration of practices? Uh, you know, there are, there are models that never really died, um, you know, that, that are exactly as you described. And those, those models um, have, a, have a great potential. Um, and, you know, m many of them are, are you know, still in and doing well in Southern California. So that's very much a, a possibility. So you think they could build on that, at least in those markets where where, where you have that um, that maturity, so to speak? Especially, those, I was just going to say, uh, Greg, especially where Medicare Advantage has a reasonable penetration in the market because that gives these physician groups an opportunity to be practicing in the private sector the idea of managing care and taking risk and then um, as as more payers, whether they be Medicaid or, or Medicare come on board, they can they can you know, expand the model that they are, are, are refining in the private sector today. Exactly. Well, I, I uh, just want to again uh, say thank you for this report. Um, it's 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 a dose of uh, reality in the midst of sometimes a rather emotional conversation and unfortunately given the political polarities in this country today it often seems like uh, people cannot look through uh, an ideological prism as they start talking about you know how do we solve these this entitlement issue with medicare medicaid do acos have a role to play is health reform you know the avenue uh do we need to go the voucher route with uh, Ryan's proposal, or you know, are we on the right track here, and we just need to do a little more of this and a little less of that? So, uh, jury's out, and hopefully, um, you know, uh, cooler minds will prevail here. And do you have any thoughts about uh, Berwick's resignation? Well, he uh, he's a very thoughtful and decent person that like so many, uh, becomes a hostage of the political process in Washington, D.C. Um, you, know, his, his, um, you know, his political views aside and, and his disposition towards a single-payer system aside, the, the idea of helping to move care providers towards 
a system of integration and a system where their payment is based on their ability to keep people well is an idea that is um, you know uh, shared by by both political parties and so there is um, you know when you peel back the resistance to his um, renomination uh, there's a lot of, of enthusiasm for the integrated care approach and um, it's been difficult for I think for both parties in, in that respect uh, you know the, the, the Democratic Party has not been a friend of the Medicare Advantage model and yet that's so similar to what um, what is aspired to in the in the uh, accountable care organization approach and Republicans struggle as well to discredit uh, PPACA and and yet there are components of it that really resonate with their mindset of competition in markets and efficiency. Well said. Uh, and whether Berwick is there or not, I believe this, this movement is intact. And uh, the, the prevailing consensus in the health want community seems to be that this is the way to do it, integrated care. And um, so one way or the other, it seems like um, – where uh, the conversation isn't going away anytime soon. So I want, I want to thank you for your great. Uh, thank you, say, oh, Go ahead. Pardon me. I was just just going to say that in, in our view, um, health reform is economic reform, and we we see this less about political outcomes of elections and more about the fact that there is an economic imperative that that is pushing us in this direction. So we don't see the ACO movement um, rising or falling depending on uh, how elections go. Right. It's no longer optional. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we're, there's more to come from Levitt Partners. Do you have anything to share about that at this time? Well, um, Tom and I and, and uh, David Muelstein and others will uh, be continuing to do research and in the future look forward to being able to share more information about the types of contracting, uh, the, the, the size of the populations, uh, and the success of the varying models. So um, look forward to continuing the dialogue with you. And for those who have not yet seen or read the report, Growth and Dispersion of Accountable Care Organizations, you can see that at acowatch.com or, of course, go to levittpartners.com uh, for a download of the entire report, including an executive summary. So with that, Andrew, thanks again for your time. appreciate you joining me today and uh, look forward to, to future work from Levitt Partners. Thank you, Greg. Bye now.